0: Thank you very much for coming on. Um, how, l- let's start with a little bit about you. How did you get started in this whole YouTuber thing?
1: Um, well, I was doing um, a course. I was doing a degree in a TV production. Um, sort of learning how to edit, shoot, and put together stuff. Um, and it was kind of like the summer break. And I kind of thought, well, I need something to um, like, while away the time and practice like what I'd learnt. And so that was kind of just how I'd gone to it. I mean, I'd already done like various little things online, like on message boards and that with like old games. And yeah, I just kind of started it. I thought there's not much um, at the time, what, 2012, there wasn't that much like Sega stuff or like Amiga stuff compared to like Nintendo video-wise. So that was kind of how i got gone to it. And it just kind of went from there it Just started as a hobby, really.
0: So you saw that uh, there was just that open space where no one yeah. was talking about Spectrum games and everything else. Everything was just so everything
1: no, was so I mean, it so Nintendo
0: focused. It
1: was reason. yeah. I mean, it was kind of both. It was um, it was very Nintendo focused. I mean, there was not that like there wasn't Spectrum stuff, of course, but not in terms of, like edited reviews. And also, I mean, that was still the time when a lot of people were kind of trying to take off angry video game nerd. <laughs> so you still got a lot of um, kind of those reviews like, rah, you know, this game sucks duck balls or whatever. <laughs> and I always kind of wanted to be a bit more positive and talk about games that I liked as opposed to just crapping on fins. So yeah, that's kind of how I started reviewing. So, so you're not like us
0: American games reviewers where we just look at everything and everything's shit all the time? <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah,
1: no, nothing like that. I mean, not, not like I haven't covered bad games, but I, I just kind of, I, I get more like curious as opposed to just, I don't know, I can't think of like compound swearing on them. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um in terms of like having to put everything together and and doing an episode what is your process for doing that how do you select a game and then do your research and then put it all together as a finished product
1: in terms of subjects i mean i do have um i have like few like documents around of like various ideas i've thought up but they often tend to be like i put them all in a document and then never actually look at it again so i kind of think of something on the fly or something gets requested if it's like an interesting subject, I'll, I'll try and have a look at like <coughs> sources from the time, like I try and look in old games, magazines or newspapers or um, interviews with the people who were around like, say if I'm doing like a games company documentary, I'd kind of have a look at all of that first and then try and write something. And um, depend. I mean, depending on the subject, depending on how much research is needed. I mean, it can take quite a long time, and sometimes we end up, like, really trying to search it, like, actually trying to get in touch with, like, the people involved as well.
0: Is it, so... <laughs> is,
1: it is it a bit tasking sometimes to get, to get something yeah. done? It can be, yeah, especially depending, on, I mean, because sometimes, I mean, the way it is, I mean, there's sometimes there's this piece of footage, like, you know where, but, um, it's not on, that. Like, public video sharing sites, and as a YouTube, you know, it's not like your company just have enough money to go to, like, say, BBC and say, oh, there's this finn in your archives that's 30 years old, can I have it, please, and just pay for it. So that can be a kind of taxing fin sometimes. Uh, the video game, uh, the gameplay that you do show, uh, do you do that via emulation or via the actual hardware? It's different from time to time. I mean, emulation is easiest. Just, I mean, it's so much easier to capture that way. But I do have um, the facility for real capture. I mean, if I can do real capture, if that's the best way to do things, then that's what I like to do. But sometimes, you know, especially with certain games, I mean, I don't have them immediately all to hand. I mean, everdrives are very useful in that regard. Like, just having like drive and Ever drives makes it pretty easy to capture anything from there. But, I mean, it all depends. Certainly when I started, emulation was the fin, but I try to make it weird if I can. Uh, The first video I saw of yours
0: was uh, the Jimmy Savile um, uh, store oh, game, whatever the, yeah, whatever the actual title of it thing. was. Um, one. Um, some of the subject matter that goes along with these games is kind of depressing in a way. Uh, yeah. Jimmy Savile especially, but what yep. what has been one of the, the games that has been uh, the hardest hitting for you the, that's thats kind of taken
1: its toll on your soul if you will <laughs> <clears throat> there's been a few um, that was definitely one of them I am kind of surprised I mean I knew obviously right, that's a game that was on Jim will fix it and and I didn't quite expect that to be such a downer as it was no, I mean not that, that was intentionally a downer but just an incredibly mundane horrible game I was like that's more, more perfect um, I did a game called Lost Patrol um, not too long back, which is um, it's one of those games that, I mean, a lot of it is just on a single map screen, but it's about like a, um, a Vietnam War group that gets lost behind enemy lines and they've got to try and make it back to camp. And I kind of constructed the review as like a story of a in the end going forward, everybody died. So kind of doing stuff like, like yeah, the game.
0: Breaking up a little bit, Kim. There's a little, there's like a, there's a pop on my There we go. Okay. Um, let's see. We got, we got, we got the depressing one out of the way. <laughs> so
1: what's been, what's been your favorite one to do? Oh, My favorite game. Um, there's been some big games, I mean, Final Fantasy 7, doing a big seven part in that. Um, but I think, it, well, I suppose like specific games, I mean, there's been um, sort of big projects that I've done in the past term, um, doing like an A to Z on licensed games, like covering just all like good, bad, weird, otherwise interesting, like movie, television times was one of my favorite things. Um, a lot of the company documentaries as well, covering people like Psygnosis and Ocean Software. Because again, it wasn't stuff that when I started YouTube, it was really talked about that much actually going into the sometimes quite colourful history of the people and the companies behind these games. So of all the tales of excess that there are from back close times. It's been one of my favourite things to cover. It seems like the only times I can actually find in-depth
0: coverage is, is by... You and Dan and and Larry are the only ones that truly covered in detail. Um, (laughs) I'm not. I'm not sure if it's just if it's a thing here where we just don't the YouTubers on our side just don't have the time to make documentaries like that, or we just um, don't care for it or what. I don't know what
1: the. I think as time's gone on, there's been a few more that have cropped up, or or, um, people have kind of introduced that to stuff they do. Like I think LGR's done that sometimes with his Tech Tales. Series and um, plus UK tubers guys like Nostalgia Nerd. Um, I mean, when I started, there wasn't really that many people at all doing that sort of thing. I think there was. I think Gaming Historian was around then, back when I started. But um, and I mean, that wasn't what I intended. I just intended like review games. It. It was only a few years in that I really started doing that like, documentaries and going behind the scenes. I think it's kind of paved a way for a better part
0: of YouTube. Um, <laughs> The more the filmmaker part of YouTube that really needs to need it to evolve and I think you you all were a part of that which has yeah. has made has made watching YouTube a lot more enjoyable for me
1: definitely I mean now YouTube's a lot of people who make or at least it's a bit more kids people who make longer videos mm-hmm. and um, and as well as services like as well coming up in the past few years that's been quite helpful to people to make that sort of long form content, it doesn't just have to be, you know, back in the day used to be everything has to be ten minutes. It was the common advice, which just doesn't apply at
0: all. Uh, as as far as how YouTube handles videos with copyrighted content, have you seen any any sort of uphill battle with with keeping
1: your stuff monetized or anything like that? Well, certainly with some videos. I mean. One, thing, one other thing I like to do, I like to do wrestling content, um, and there's a video that I did um, about um, WCW and New Japan put on a show in North Korea, mm. which was the biggest wrestling supercard ever. I mean, not. I mean, the attendance wasn't legit, really, because they had to attend, but it was like 180,000 people or something attended every single day. But in trying to review that card, I found oh, actually, the whole thing's just WWE just claimed it and claimed it and claimed it, and in the end, I, I just had I virtually had to ruin the video to get it up, and it wasn't worth it. So yeah, sometimes with stuff like that, it's a pain in the ass, especially when you know you're not trying to steal the bloody document, the the video. You're just trying to talk about it.
0: Have you found the uh, have you found that magical balance of just the right amount of video to the right amount of original content to keep you in that out of that uh, weird grey
1: area? Yeah, I try to find um, that balance. I mean it helps sometimes when as to movies or whatever, but if I ever I, I mean but sometimes if I use a clip for movie I know it's like how long it kinda needs to be or how short it needs to be in order to prevent that from screwing me over later on
0: breaking up a little bit again bloody microphone i'm sorry (laughs) not a problem that's that's what editing's for (laughs) um one of the one of the uh things that i wanted to talk about is representation in video games which seems to be the big the big thing that everyone talks about right now it's uh, it, it infests my inbox it's it's everything anyone wants to talk about whenever I'm on a movie set um, what, are, what are your opinions on representation of video games do you feel that we're making strives to uh, to appease everyone or is there so much more that has to be done to represent uh, all parts of society
1: um... One of those issues like suddenly used uh, use to it. kind of as I get older I get less political. But um, I definitely think there's gotta be some sort of kind of balance. I suppose um it's an area that can get quite confrontational at times, like it really end up just causing terrible feeling on all sides. And and I get and I do get, you know, why like the state of things can annoy some people but one thing that I also find like with be like being who I am is sometimes the things that people do in order to like make repre- or try to make representation better end up being almost restrictive as things that were there before do you know what I mean it's like I don't know it's like if say um Random example to so, say, you know, um, you remember that like, Jack Whitehall a few weeks ago? Mm-hmm. Um, Disney got in trouble for casting him in a homosexual role. Yes. And it's like, well, that's all well and good, but you're kind of also saying, by the way that they went about it, that people like us, we can only play queer roles. Like, mm. oh, Why can't well, Why could not we play a straight role? You, you know what I mean? Yeah. So if, if, if you I mean, want it's a kind pigeonhole, of like doing the most mm-hmm. as opposed to the best.
0: If we try to pigeonhole people by exactly who they are in the real world, then yeah. you're, you're basically going to create a, a space where you can always say, someone with this life experience can only play this person. Well, how many murderers, how many rapists, how many psychopaths are you going to find that work in Hollywood? Well, you'll probably find it quite a bit, but <laughs> how many are you going to find Good that are, are going to perfectly fit that role you've written? Or do you have to rewrite an entire script just so you can – because you already have this ideal actor that you need, so you have to rewrite the entire script just to perfectly resemble that person. So Mm. actors no longer become actors. They become biographers.
1: It's true. I mean, there is a balance that needs to be struck. In the end, I think every film kind of has its own set of needs. Mm -hmm. I mean, there are some... There are some times when, you know, you see something that's like the Scarlett Johansson thing from, like, a couple of months back. And I don't know, I mean... Couple of years ago, I mean, again, it used to get me more annoyed. Now it's I kind of look at it, it's like <laughs> I find it funny more than anything. <laughs> it's just like Scarlett Hansen plays trans man, and it's just like <laughs> <laughs> okay, <laughs> but it's like cool, um, right?
0: <laughs> I, I, can see, I can see, I can see the name, I can see the name getting butts and seeds. But yeah, I she, I just she, can't she, see her she, playing that role because I don't I haven't seen her in anything that I've taken her like totally seriously as a dramatic actress in. I don't think ever. It's
1: <laughs> been a while. She's done uh, of mostly action stuff lately. Yeah. I, I remember in Ghost World that's, that's going back a while. Right? <laughs> that's I remember
0: that's the first time I saw her too. <laughs> that
1: was really
0: good Yeah. It's one of those rare films that I think still holds hundred
1: percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Whatever happened to follow Birch? Uh was an asshole, if I remember correctly. Like really possessive.
0: The last time I saw her, she was in a direct-to-DVD movie I had to review back in 2007, where she played a mortician's assistant. Wow. And the only thing I can remember about that movie is she had to snap a dead guy's cock in half because he died with an erection lovely That's all I remember of that movie, and that was the last time I saw her in anything that well, that's came across my scene mind. that's gonna stick in your mind, isn't it? <laughs> Sadly, they didn't show it. They they just kind of like show her hands just off screen, snapping it, and have a nice little
1: Foley effect.
0: <laughs> yeah, it, yeah. It was like it was like a stalk of celery just getting split in half. Yeah,
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> and that was that was the last of her I ever saw. Yeah it's hard for me to speak um, uh, speak well on representation because I'm just I'm just a, a, a straight white guy who happens to work in the entertainment industry so I I hear a lot about it with, with other journalists I'm with seem to bring it up quite a bit either intersectionality or feminism or representation and it's just hard for me to have a dialogue with anyone because I don't
1: have those experiences no of course um, I think it's I mean, uh, this it's what this one it's, like, it's one of the subjects like numb like, and kind I of think I'll oh, have to tread on eggshells a bit sometimes because mm-hmm. um, I kind of think that, you know, everyone's like opinions like, well, not okay, not everyone's, but a lot more <laughs> people perhaps than people think have certain villages. Like, not everyone is a complete chud, mm-hmm. so to speak. That, like, you know, like. With a lot of people, I mean, I've always found like in the stuff that I do outside of YouTube in real life, you know, once you reach kind of a bit of an understanding, like some people may not be able to understand exactly like where you're coming from, but they know, they empathize and it's all good.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Whereas it, it's not just like black and white. I mean, that's kind of what I've always found like in my personal relationships with people. And that kind of put me in good stead. I was found allowed made it made sure that I didn't have to give up everything
0: mm-hmm.
1: when I did the old switch switcheroo.
0: What, so, in your experiences, when you show people respect, do you find that they show you the equal amount of respect, at least to your yeah. at least to your face?
1: <laughs> at least to my face, and what, what people say in, in private is no, is I don't care. <laughs> um, I mean, if someone doesn't show me any respect whatsoever. And it's clear that that's not going to change, then fine, you know, I'm not going to let you affect my life anymore. But, Mm -hmm. you know, most people, you know, you you find something. Most people I mean, it's, I mean, we live in an age kind of now where, you know, it is more, I mean, again, if it's not, people don't understand exactly, it's more accepting. Mm -hmm. And generally people are like, hey, it's all good with me, you know, they don't let it affect their lives to a degree.
0: Yeah. I don't, I don't see how like your decision or anyone else's decision, if it doesn't affect me in any sort of negative way, um, Mm. I, I don't see what the issue is. Um, but what I've, what I've, what I've seen on the opposite end of that is there are some people that are so, so rife with making sure that, uh, that I know my place as, as just a straight white guy, that it becomes hard for me to do my job. And I think that's that might be where some of the disrespect eventually comes out from, is like, I'm just trying to do my job, but you're saying I can't do my job well enough because of who I
1: am. <laughs> and I mean, that... again, I mean, I can only speak to my own experience. I mean, mm-hmm. there's obviously, I mean, I live in the UK. I mean, I can't speak to someone's experience in Africa or. In America, in that something like the inner cities of America, I can't speak to all of that. But I just I, social media is just like just get, um, everything gets reduced hmm. to a certain level. I mean, it's kind of brought us closer together, but it's also kind of um, try. I find which it can be kind of frustrating to see sometimes. I mean. Back when I was, very, I mean, I used to be that like, kind of like, social justice warrior type thing, but in the end, I kind of realized it wasn't really helping my actual life so much. That mm-hmm. like, actual like quality of my interactions with people was really hurting. And so I kind of felt things had to change for me, at least.
0: Do you feel that we're getting at least on the right track to accept one another in... Both in in our in private lives and also in uh, the professional sector too
1: are is. I think things are improving.
0: Okay, I mean so I think I think you, yeah. you, like the 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 social climate in Britain is, is somewhat different to the way it is in America. I, oh yeah, I don't, I don't I don't know if it's if it's better or worse, but I know it's it's definitely different.
1: In the big picture, I mean, for arguments and so forth that happen on Twitter and all that, I do think generally things are slowly improving just as, you know, the nature of these things go. I mean, if I look if I look back at how trans people were treated in media in life 20 years ago, even, like, it's way different to now. Like, 20 years ago, trans people were little more than the butt of a joke, Mm -hmm. like barely existed very much on like the utter fringe of society and now 20 years have passed. I mean things are not perfect, far from it, like Mm -hmm. especially not in certain other countries and what have you, but uh, in places where we are, like the experiences that we can speak of, things have got better over the years. I, I
0: think the more that we become accepting and we see we see the representation more and more the more we become accepting of it because i can think back to when i was in high school in the 90s the uh, the representation for gay people was so limited mm. and that made it easier for you to ostracize someone even your friends my friend charlie was was still in the closet until our senior year but we hounded him and made fun of him because we knew he was gay and he just didn't come out but looking back like we said some Horrible things that I would never say now, but that's because it was so easily accepted. Mm, Um,
1: That's what it's like, I mean, especially not adolescents. Yeah,
0: because there's there's the outsider, and so it's easy to pick on the outsider. But now that's no longer the case. But I I didn't know anyone that was trans, so I don't even know how I would have approached that situation in a climate that was even more against. the trans population that it was against homosexuals in the in the 90s it's i don't know how i probably would have said even worse things
1: i um, mean i mean being the age i am i can't imagine like transitioning in the school environment invite- mm-hmm. late 90s early 2000s i can't imagine it, it would have been horrible i mean mm-hmm. sure it's i mean now we live in an age where you know people are often able to do this thing younger and and it gets a lot better but back in my day i mean it just wouldn't it would not have gone well really wouldn't have i
0: i I can only imagine how difficult that is to make that kind of life change when society looks at you in such a negative light I, i i couldn't imagine what that's like that's that's absolutely just horrible to think of and
1: well i don't i don't
0: I I know like my actions back then were wrong, but I'm not going to uh, feel totally ashamed for acting the way I did. But I can recognize that that was just not what to do. And then They're raising things, my daughter, it was, yeah. it's like you,
1: no matter what, you have to be accepting of people. I mean, I was horrible. I mean, I was, I was sure I was a little shit myself. <laughs> I mean, it's all it's these things you love. Know, and, and I look back at those days when. And I think about my interaction with some people, I think, Jesus, you know, that could be better. But when you're like 15, 14, you know, you're far from a complete person at that time. So, you know, you you make those mistakes and mm-hmm. a lot of people learn from them. Some people don't. A lot of actually do.
0: What was, uh, what was your support for going through and transitioning? What did you have there as your rock to
1: help you through that? uh friends mostly i had mm-hmm. like, built a kind of good support network around me and sort of, like, grad, kind of slowly but surely um i kind of introduced until i finally you know, i had to just mention what right, you know it's time to do it and and it was hard at first like with like general people like acquaintances and that you know it was tough there were tough times um which it's kind of like, at first, like, you don't expect that there's going to be a thing. Oh, and then, you know, a certain reality does kick in. I mean, a few years down the road now, things are cool. It comes with, that Come kind of comes with experience. Mm. Certainly early on, you know, it can be. Because, I mean, well, it's, it's like going through a second puberty in many ways. <laughs> so, and with a lot of that come with it. Because, you know, you're in a sense and and again this sounds but in a sense you're kind of you kind of have to learn that how to fit into society all over again Mm you know what I mean in a totally different way to what you perhaps like what you've been brought up with and you know that in the long term it's going to be better but it's tough to get there
0: have you have you noticed uh any different ways that society treats you uh, uh before and after your transition did you see any like, kind of um, stereotypes that people would apply to you in, in one instance that they don't now?
1: get stared at a lot more. <laughs> that so, well, I mean, you,
0: you, you are a pretty
1: woman. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, you, you, you get that happen. Um, I think, yeah, things do change, but they, they change for yourself as well. Like, I'm a lot more confident of a person now mm-hmm. than I was when I was presenting as male. That and it shows I mean that like, a lot of people know me like commented on how that kind of changed over the years. Mm-hmm. But I'm not afraid to, um, like, I used to be a very timid sort of person which <laughs> kind of um, isn't really the case anymore. <laughs> um, so a lot of like your personality traits kind of switch up. So, yeah, I mean, kind of the way that some treat. I mean, I mean, sometimes you can tell if there's a bit of awkwardness, but most of the time, unless it's like outright hostility,
0: mm-hmm.
1: it's like, just let it slide. I mean, on online as well. I mean, obviously, you know, you get plenty of comments sometimes saying, you know, tranny list, whatever. Um, I've always kind of figured, I mean, I've always had to deal with shit online from, from that various things. And I just kind of feel like with trolls, it's like, Trolls will, no matter who you are, no matter where you come from, all that, they'll always find something mm-hmm. to pick at. So that's kind of how I deal with like trolling comments, like online hate, anything like that. So that if I do, if I do it that way, then it doesn't affect me.
0: Uh, what would be your advice for um, for the young younger generation that's? Uh that's coming into their own and understanding who, who they want to be or who they need to be to uh, survive,
1: what would be your advice to them? My advice would be, um, for, for trans people or like LGBT people, hmm. um, my advice would be try to get into a position, your ultimate goal should be to get into a position where it's not like being trans or being LGBT is your whole identity like as people we are so much more now, of course, yeah, we're trans, we're queer, we're all of that, but we also have our interests, I mean, I never wanted to like make when I like became, when, you know, it all happened, I didn't want to make my YouTube channel, I still wanted to do all the things that I did before, I didn't want to suddenly just turn into like a trans channel, talking about nothing but trans issues, I mean, I've done a couple of videos and that, but not much more. 'Cause in the end, you know, being trans is just is something I mean, I kinda of think I'm a person who happens to be trans. I don't I mean like my first thing is not like, oh, as a trans woman look, as this. As a trans mm-hmm. woman that is kinda of like as a woman this, as a woman that. Judge you by your character, not by your uh, not by my whatever yeah, label or not by labels.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what I would say. Um for, for people that want to, to find out more about you and uh, see your content and contribute so you can continue to uh, do what you do without having to worry about algorithms and whatnot, where uh,
1: where can they find you? Um, well, my YouTube channel is um, Kim Justice. If you just search Kim Justice, I'll be there. I'm very active on Patreon, um, Patreon slash Kimble Justice. My thing there. Um, I do put a lot of behind-the-scenes stuff, exclusive access, requests, all other sorts of things. Um, I'm active mostly on Twitter as far as social networks go. You can find me at Kim XXX Justice. Don't worry, there's nothing porny on there. You won't you won't <laughs> see my dick. It's just that's just that's just <laughs> it, X, it, XXX is just there. <laughs> um, <laughs> and uh, and yeah, and I do stream and I Twitch stream sometime.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh. oh, yeah. yeah I'm seeing enough dicks on Twitter lately, anyway. So. <laughs> the shit posting is now just dick pics and Bowser dick pics, and just
1: oh god, yeah, <laughs> yes, yeah, so, yeah. I've seen that, and it's like, get it off my, get it off my feed. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, what, what are the
0: next projects that you have coming up?
1: Uh, I've got a few things kind of. I'm trying to put together various big projects. Uh, my next kind of big games company documentary is going to be on Sensible Software. And I'm trying to get up to interview uh, John Hare at some point, who's like the big guy behind there. He's currently in Cologne doing Gamescom, so, busy time for everyone in the gaming world. Um, aside from that, I don't know. I don't really keep much of a schedule. It's kind of like <laughs> wherever comes. mind. I mean, I'm sitting here. It's Monday, and I'm kind of thinking that like, I've did, I put a video out today, and I'm still kind of thinking, what am I going to put out next Monday? <laughs> I'm I'm quite unorganised like that. So yes, yeah, it's, it's all a bit of a mystery. And but I have um other like kind of major projects that like, I do work on. Um, currently doing um a series about my hometown, Southend, about like the old arcade scene and entertainment scene, like in like an old coastal town that's sort of known for those things trying to put an old computer back together trying to get contacts that i have all these little kind of fins that come up and then down and I, I just do different fins all the time <laughs> <laughs> you can, i can never i can never just say oh yeah i've got this this and this and this some people can and i and i feel them for being organized <laughs> so it's just not me <laughs> you just prefer to fly by the seat of your pants Yeah. That tends to work. (laughs) I just luck into.